You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, Intellectual, Intellectual Erection. Welcome back to Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick. And today, I'm speaking with the hangman, Steve Sanford, again. Well, anal is the new blowjob. It's anal only. Oh <laughs> Until mid-February. <laughs> Last time I spoke to Steve, we went over his 21 polyamory hacks, and people loved the episode. They couldn't get enough, so he's back again. But this time, we're talking about a little agreement he put together for his polyamorous family. He calls it a polycule agreement. We're going to go through the step-by-step process of how he created it, and what should be included in a standard agreement, things like consent, rules, norms, consequences. Yeah, we get into that as well. Before we get on to the episode, I just want to remind everybody to please follow on Instagram at intellectual underscore erection. Go to the Patreon if you want to support at patreon.com slash intellectual erection or If you don't want to support financially or you can't, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help lift visibility for this podcast. And other things you can do is just share the episodes with your friends. Share them on social media. It really does help out tremendously. And I hope this podcast continues to grow. Thank you for listening. And as always, listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with Hangman. Oh, or it's Steve. It's Steve Sanford. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Sanford. People know me as Hangman. Okay, welcome back. It's good to have you back here. It's good to be back. It's not been too too long since we last talked. No, I feel like it was yesterday. Yeah, I mean, we've been hanging out. So yeah, we made yeah. friends. We've got friends. <laughs> <laughs> so last time we talked about your polyamory hacks. Yes, we talked about the first half of the twenty-one. Was it the first half? I think I went out of order. I had some few favorites. In oh, there. that's right. There were yeah. two, some stragglers. We'll get to those someday, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But today, we're going to be talking about something still related to polyamory. Still something that you put together. Again, from a community pool of resources, you came up with something that you use for your polyam fam, which is a uh, polycule agreement. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> that thing. That little old thing. I should have brought my computer because then I could have it in front of me. So you have to like prompt me. No, it's fine. I can do it all from memory. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I have it here in front of me. Exactly. So You'll I'm, be my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a, a pop quiz. We'll see how well you remember your sure own Sure thing, contract. yeah. I actually <laughs> read it recently and uh, I was like, oh, this is good. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> so this polyamory contract that you fashioned is something that I'm going to also incorporate into my existing dynamics and tweak it a little bit to my needs but before we get to all that funny enough you walked in today and i thought okay we already did this last time i asked you the origin question and i asked you your first moments of when you first encountered sex and sexuality so i'm like god damn i can't ask you again first thing you say to me when you walk in was what? I thought of a new one. <laughs> yes. I was happy. So if you recall the last time briefly, uh, it was like, 
you know, when you, okay, I was a kid in the 80s and the 70s, and like TV was my babysitter, and my mom was a sex crazed, you know, person just like me. And so I sat in front of the TV a lot and got lots of movies rented for me, mm-hmm. you know, the old VHS Betamax tapes. And so I got to watch a lot of movies unsupervised, and quite often those movies would be completely inappropriate for an eight year old. Um, but of course, you know, they didn't care. Parents in the 70s didn't care. Um, so I was talking about the last one was, um, I think it was Andy Warhol's Dracula. It's a very formative sexual experience. Right. Well, another one that occurred to me right after we did the podcast last time was Conan the Barbarian and with, the scene with the with witch. Yeah, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger one. <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. In fact, I wore out the VHS tape when I was like a preteen because I watched it so much. But it's that scene with the witch. Oh, gets me every time. <laughs> Describe the scene a little bit. I don't remember so, this movie from... Like, oh, you got to watch it's it. It's been years. It's a cl- I mean, it must be dated now, but it was a great movie. I think it probably still could ha- hold up. There's some great one-liners, too, from it. Of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger knew barely any English, so it's hilarious. <laughs> and there's like all kinds of like fantasy sections and orgy scene, and that, that didn't do it for me. It was the scene very early in the movie... Where Conan sort of gets released from slavery, and he's wandering through wherever it is, Crimea, wherever it is, and uh, he wanders upon a witch's cottage, and it's like this sexy, naked woman, and they have sacks, and in the middle of the sacks, her claws come out in her hands, she scratches up his like back, there's blood everywhere, there's sweat everywhere, they're obviously oiled bodybuilders, and like <laughs> he eventually kills her because she's a monster, she's like a witch trying to kill him kind of thing, and it was just like, yeah, man, that was, I, I fapped that so much. <laughs> Holy shit. These movies do that. Like this whole witch scene. I mean, I think, you know, I have the, I definitely have a witch aesthetic fetish. You know, I like like hot goth girls and things like that. Um, so it's got to be from that, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a good association. It's a good start. Yeah. I mean, I could probably, we could probably do a podcast and I could probably think of a million of them. So don't worry about that question. That thing can keep, there's a lot of mileage on We're that. never going to run out, especially with your family. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to bring them tonight, folks. I, yeah, I, I want to interview your whole family, starting with your mother and just... Yeah. Anyone. Well, my mom might come to Canada this summer, so I'll, I'll line her up. Mm. So that she'd love to do it. That she's, would be She's fantastic. an attention whore. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, we can get started on this... Uh, what you've called the loose, ever-evolving agreement between a bunch of people who really like each other. <laughs> Great title, eh? It is. It's a very cute title. And this is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working off of version four, summer 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so it hasn't been updated in a while, but, you know. So this, um, this thing is an agreement. Now, the idea of polyamorous agreements is a thing out there. I'm not going to claim to be the inventor of these things. Uh, and when I first came across this, I had quite a large polycule at the time. And there were some things going on in that polycule, which made us start to talk about sexual health, uh, not just sexual health physically, but mentally who's in, who's out, what constitutes a partner, what constitutes a comment when, and, um, you know, just a general attentiveness towards each other. And 
So I went looking around for these agreements. And so what you're, what you've got here is I'm not going to sit there and claim I invented this thing. It is really, I took the best parts of a million pieces and put them together and then tacked on my own sort of um, language and style to it. Now, I remember you saying that some of the best bits of this came from a very specific contract that you found from a, I forget what it was, butch lesbian yes yeah i think it was um i remember uh i don't remember the source off the top of my head and i i'd be challenged to even find it but i remember the one i came across that i really was impressed with was the most was a contract between a poly family of primarily it was closed poly fam of butch lesbians yes awesome yeah so this is what we're working off of yeah okay before we get started into it i want to actually look at the section where you you provide some definitions of some of the terminology. I think I want to start with that, even though it's not the beginning of the contract. Sure. Because it would be helpful going forward as people hear these terms. Yeah, and and if you have a question, just raise your hand. Okay. So Audience I'll do, I'll do this. <laughs> I'll say the term, and then you say the definition. So it's a pop quiz. Okay. Because I'm looking at the screen and you're not. Poly Coven. Also, po- also known as <laughs> Coven or Kewl, for, uh short for Poly Group Pod poly family or pack it's it's sort of self-explanatory i <laughs> invented the word poly coven well, i'm not going to claim i invented it. i'm sure other people have but i love it it described at the time my poly family really well and you know we're spiritual pagans for the most part we practice witchcraft so it kind of was perfect in the sense of um uh but essentially it's you know a poly family a group of people uh, pack, uh, cool. You know, I know that you run with a, a crew of people who you're intimate with to varying degrees. I think a lot of polyamorous people do do this. Um, especially I'm not going to sit there all I, that's actually, I'm wrong. I shouldn't generalize like that, but like definitely my pack at the time was running together, fairly open, very, not body fluid, but fluid in it, in emotional attachments and, friendships and lovers um and we were we were quite literally a family and it was really lovely and really wonderful and so you know we kind of dubbed it the poly coven from time to time yeah there you go well your written definition is much more concise (laughs) (laughs) of course it is because this term references the collective of friends lovers metamors who form a tangible union with like-minded values, goals, interests, social contracts, and support network. Yes. There we go. Just what I said. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly what you said. The next one is partner. Yeah, partner. That is somebody you're actually with. You have a commitment to that person. uh, And you can have more than one, of course. This is polyamory. Um, your life building, your future building, your in some cases nesting, in some cases not necessarily nesting, but you definitely are in for the long run. Those are your partners. Absolutely. That one needs no more definition. <laughs> anchor partner, which is a, a version of a partner. Yeah, anchor partner, yeah. nesting partner, primary partner, if you want to get all high, high hierarchical, I'm something on the word. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the person that you have invested in both material as well as intimately for the most part. It's not that you can't do that with other people, but, you know, quite often in polyamorous uh, relationships, there's one or two that you live with, you have children with, all that stuff. And then a comet? Comet. Well, those are fun. 
<laughs> I didn't, I've never heard of the term comet until I came across this contract. So I, yeah, when I discovered the word comet, I thought it was <laughs> fucking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, a comet is a lover. Somebody you might see from time to time. In fact, I have a comment recently. We got together and we defined our relationship and it was like, we're not, we're kind of friends that fuck, right? Yeah. We're just friends that fuck. Yeah. That's great. Cause I don't want commitment. Yeah. That's great. There's enough commitment there that you have a relationship and you invest in this person. You see this person often, but quite often it's for things just like carnal satisfaction, uh, you know, or facilitating some sort of thing like that. It's not that you can't hang out and have cuddle you know, dates and friendships and things like that. But as somebody who comes into your life, you know, infrequently, but um, habitually. Right. So they orbit around your planetary body for some space of time and then they return periodically. That's exactly. Isn't that a great term? Absolutely. It, it just sums it all up. <laughs> I yeah. love comment. Yeah. Okay. Metamore. Metamore is uh, a person you're in a relationship, but not a lover with. That is usually a partner of a partner. Um, or a close, let's face it. It's a partner of a partner. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, that's the, 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 the term metamor means. Absolutely. And like, I think, a, a, I think not, not to get off tangent here, but I think for the most part, the metamor relationship sort of gets pushed to the polyamory back burner a lot in conversations. That's a really important relationship. And I have had some incredibly healthy and fulfilling relationships with metamors that, um, are really satisfying and really, really important to me. Absolutely. I am lucky enough to have a metamor myself and one who's very, is a person I, I respect, is very much into the communication kink that my partner and I share and they share together and we share as a group. And my metamor also has a partner. So there's this, just this group, it, it's, it's, it's a, great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice when you can get along with those people intellectually yeah. and emotionally, and you can have these conversations. And after reading this, this contract, we actually sat down and talked about it, all four of us. And we, Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. That's great to hear. <laughs> See, it's, it's, it's spreading. Your virus it, is spreading. Well, metam like, you know, metamors are like, we had a, a poly family Christmas. You can see it on our, on my, our Instagram. All the metamors, all the partners, all the lovers together playing Cards Against Humanity and eating like holiday treats and getting drunk together. There's that's nothing better. The there's nothing better than that, right? All right. So that's a metamor. Polyflexibility. Term used among metamors in the off chance group sex situations occur. Some partners are more comfortable with others. and That's right. Yeah. yeah. Polyflexibility is, um, you know, one thing leads to another. You end up in bed with your metamor and your partner. It's a great time. That's polyflexibility. It's <laughs> good flexibility. Okay. DS terminology, such as dominant, submissive, daddy, little, and so on. Yeah. I mean, my family, for the most part, is a BDSM house as well. So, yes, that was important. So, it's to important to, yeah, to have this, this terminology yeah. so that people know the types of dynamics and roles that are involved. So that if there's any sort of overlap or any sort of dynamics that might interfere with others, those can be negotiated. Yeah. Okay. Those are the definitions of terminology in this contract, which takes at times a legal language in a very fun way. <laughs> so. Yes. I mean, it's non-binding, of course. And that's the thing you got to remember about these agreements is, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's very, it's very loose. Like, we're all adults. 
you you can't sit there and say, okay, here's an agreement. You got to abide by this. So there's going to be consequences. I mean, obviously there are consequences built into this, but they're very sane and um, reasonable, I think. But at the end of the day, this is an agreement. It's not a contract. Okay. So this agreement slash charter, it begins, has been written to distill, instill, and commit to a sense of understanding and responsibility among persons in relationships with a poly group, a.k.a. an intertwining group of intimate relationships and satellite friendships. To center the poly coven, as we like to call it, is to fuse a sense of collective values that hinge on a deep and personal policy of... Ethical open love. <laughs> There's a few things listed here, and some of which we talked about last time in your polyamory hacks. So the policy that's supposed to cover is radical honesty, personal improvement, full disclosure, connected partnerships, and selfless commitment to the betterment of others. Got it. So it says here this is presented to promote healthy physical, mental safety, and a drama-free environment as friends, lovers, metamores. The foremost practical reason for this agreement is physical and sexual safety, which is non-negotiable aspects of the group. The secondary reason is to establish basic terms so that all persons and relationships living within the QL can operate at a level of trust designed to protect the poly family from both physical and emotional harm inside and outside. Please let it be known, while this agreement may seem heavy and weirdly legal in its tone or dramatic, but its purpose is to act as a basic tool, not a book of laws. It is to make sure those in and entering the group understand a basic standard. Yeah. Boom. Bingo. All right. So the first section of this is a statement of autonomy. So what's that about? Well, everyone is, uh, is an adult, is an individual, has the right, like, like this is not a cult. This is, a, this is not an agreement that binds you into some sort of cult-like situation. Um, you have rights, human rights, within a poly family. Uh, and this statement of autonomy really just kind of covers all of that. It covers the fact that um, you have autonomy within a polyfamily. You are, you know, like if if you disagree with something, consent is part of that, obviously, um, and uh, things like that. Absolutely, and I think that's a very important thing to to have. Because for me, the reason I got into polyamory was expressly because of my need for freedom, autonomy, and to be able to act independently, but also have the benefits of love, closeness, intimacy, without that interfering with my autonomy, so that I always had a choice, where yeah. monogamy for me never felt like a choice, it always felt like... Um, normative standards that I was supposed to abide by, otherwise I'm failing the relationship. Yeah. Whereas now, in the way that I practice polyamory, some people call it relationship anarchy. I kind of like the ideas behind it and the, even the terminology. is the idea that you just negotiate everything, all your needs, everything you want to do, however you want to structure the relationship and your boundaries. Yeah. I think autonomy as well, you got to be careful that it doesn't necessarily mean you're void of commitment. That's an important distinction in in, in that uh, in that regard, um, but it does establish firmly that we're all individuals with loves, needs, likes, dislikes, and you know there's 
no one possesses you as a piece of property or ownership unless, of course, that is agreed upon within some sort of BDSM um, logic. And even then, consent is a big part of that kind of equation. Um, so that autonomy, that statement of autonomy right up front establishes the fact that that you are free in this relationship. You are free to challenge this agreement. There are parts of it that are uncomfortable. You are free to call for an amendment, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and you're free not to follow it, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. Like I say at the beginning, this this is to establish a standard. And, you know, if you don't want to follow that standard, you have the autonomy to do that. It There might be consequences from a relationship and an emotional connection point of view that you might have to deal with. But, you know, that's why I sort of say it's all in legalese, but it's really non-binding. Right. Um, well, it's the same way that, for example, in the American Constitution, there's a freedom of speech. And a lot of people don't seem to understand that a freedom of speech doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. It allows you the ability to express yourself such as you might. But with that comes the consequences and repercussions of facing the people that you're targeting in your speech and facing the laws that prevent things like harassment against others. And the freedom of speech is just giving you the opportunity to recognize that you have the ability to say the things that you want to say, but it also instills a sense of responsibility and acknowledging that the freedom comes with that responsibility to know that what you're saying is not necessarily targeted at harming other people. That's a great analogy. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better one. That, that sort of sums up that autonomy clause yeah. there. And for me, again, like you said, it's not about a lack of commitment. For me, it's about having the freedom of choice to know that the things that I'm doing in a relationship with and for another person or people is negotiated, and I make that choice together with another person, and it's not something that's expected of me out of some normative standard that has been absorbed into a pre-written script that I had no participation in nailed it as as i'm poppy would say not a cult there perfect <laughs> not, not a cult not a cult the next section is agreement consequences yes so this is an interesting one because this is a non-binding agreement right so how do you punish i hate that word i hate the fact we live in a punitive society it's terrible and we i think there's parts in this agreement that cover you know forgiveness um, but like, how do you like in order for a standard or a book of laws or a, or something to be um, effective, there has to be consequences. Now, the consequences in polyamory are going to look a lot different from something like the law or school rules where like there's a physical, tangible punishment at the end of it. Whereas in polyamory, it's more of, you know, if you break an agreement you know you're gonna have to sort of i mean there's a little bit of shame bolted into that i don't think that's just human nature and i don't think you're gonna get away from that but i think all of this entire agreement is really contingent on a, a sort of a, a code of honor and that the, for that code of honor to work you have to you have to fear the genuine remorse of breaking trust with the people in your group. If you have a sociopath in your group and they don't give a shit about the feelings of people or a commitment or consent, you're going to have a bad time. So <laughs> if you don't have a bad time, that's you're going to have a bad, bad time. time. <laughs> so, 
you know, that, that sort of, and I'm sure we'll get into like some tangible examples of consequences within this agreement, but that's sort of what that touches upon. But basically, you know, you fuck up, you can communicate and you can have a conversation with the people involved in your small community and your family, but you might get ostracized if you are a royal fuck up or if you're a persistent fuck up. Well, I know in this agreement we we touch upon vetoes. It's yeah. probably one of the bigger parts of yeah, the agreement. Yeah. And veto is a is is a is probably the best example of a tangible consequence in a in a in a poly family. If you're if if a partner is vetoed, and there's got to be a damn good reason for that, uh, which of course we get into, but uh, that is like you're you're banned. You're out. Yeah. Sorry, like yeah. no fucking around. And if people can accept that that person is out, they're out too. Because at the end of the day, it's the physical health, the mental well-being of your family that is at stake here. And in order for polyamory to work, um, I mean, it's a as you know, polyamory is, is a daily grind. It's an exercise of emotional work all the time. And, you know, unlike sort of like, and not to slag monogamous relationships, monogamous relationships are work too, but there's a sort of like, you know, put it in the oven, turn it to 400 degrees, walk away, it bakes itself. Whereas with polyamory, it's more like uh, a soup where you're adding spices and things and you're mixing and you're stirring it quite often and you're checking it to make sure it doesn't burn the bottom. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a corny analogy, but I think it's pretty good. Um, that's sort of what I'm talking about there. All right. Well, even in something like a, I have a larger slut fam, if you will. It's not yep. necessarily, a, we've sometimes called it a poly fam, but it's not really because we're not in relationships with each other. We have independent relationships, but we have a collective. So it's a slut collective. So it's like a group of comets. It's, yeah, it's a group. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an asteroid it field. It's an asteroid field. We just made a new Woo! term. <laughs> asteroid field. And I love that it starts with. Oh my with, God. I love that We're it starts add with that to the agreement. <laughs> That's, it would, definitely. If you pass through us, you're getting hit. <laughs> so, oh my God. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> the asteroid field. <laughs> Um, so yeah, even within this group, we've had to bounce some of the asteroids exactly with well, veto collisions power. are everywhere. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. We've had some toxic members that we collectively agreed. These people need to get out yeah. because they are actively harming other members and they bring the health of the group down. Well, and the thing about asteroid fields, if I can use the new term, um, is quite often when you see somebody you want to fuck, you don't check in first. You want to fuck them, right? Yeah. It's like that. There's that carnal attraction. We've all been at those sex parties. It's like that person's hot. You know, obviously you're breaking ice, but you know you want to get down to it, kind of thing. And break the ice before you break the ass. Exactly. And so, um, <laughs> so yeah, like you know, quite often you find out after that the person is not what you thought they were and yeah discussion is required yeah it happens and we've yeah. all been there yeah moving on the notwithstanding clause otherwise known as breaking an agreement yeah so the notwithstanding clause the one of the things i really like about this agreement and you'll have to refresh my memory because it's not in front of me um is again i hate this this patriarchal punitive society we live in if you're bad you are punished if you're bad you go to jail if you've made a crime you 
need to pay for it for the rest of your life. Right. Uh, we like to act on those things in scenes because of the power that's established of course. in those and like, moments. Yeah, but. yeah. And like there's there's this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth um mentality theme in human history and human nature. And realistically, and I have found and, and it's written in this agreement, if you fuck up, I wanted to have a mechanism or a tool set in place that allowed for somebody to come forward with an amnesty and, you know, say, Hey, I fucked up. Let's talk about it. Judgment free. Well, sometimes you can't get away from the judgment, but like as judgment free as possible, a great example. I think the example I use in the agreement is let's say you cheat and you can cheat in polyamory, believe it or not, it's possible. And um, you know, you're, you, you can either carry that secret around with you and have it eat you alive because you fear the consequences, the punitive damage, the punishment that's going to happen. Or you can come forward and say, hey, I fucked up and have a mindful conversation. And I think this is one of the great things about polyamory is that kitchen table talk, honesty and honor bound system that allows you to go, hey, I cheated. And know that you're going to be forgiven. It may not be a comfortable conversation for you. You may have to, you know, make amends or atone or make it up or trust build or go through some sort of exercise that helps do that. But there's much more of a human realism to the idea. Like in, in a lot of toxic monogamy like culture, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying monogamy is toxic inherently but you see it in movies and see it in television once you cheat you you're out it's like the rules it's like the societal rules you know cheating means you're out there's no way back and of course there's lots of examples where monogamous couples cheat on each other and take each other back i'm not saying that that but that's the societal expected routine right and i think there's something wrong with that we're human fucking beings right like when your child spills milk you don't like you don't punish that child forever well i'm glad that you mentioned children in this context because i find that a good example for this amnesty rule this notwithstanding clause is comparable to a sense of good parenting so yeah. you want to establish a relationship of trust with your child so much so that if they fuck up royally you are still the first person they want to call absolutely to get them out to save them to get help to get support because they know that at the end of the day even if they have to face some judgment they have to face an uncomfortable conversation you are the person that's taking care of them and you are their support as well so if they're out and they're about to od on something or they're feeling sick or somebody's assaulting them they know that they can the, call you the classic um no questions asked rule that yeah. my teenagers now know and have and are comfortable with and understand now, it's it's very interesting you say that because like using this the child who spills milk example again i mean i never got mad at my children for spilling drinks i just it's just a dumb stupid illogical thing to get angry at i mean it's the same thing with we just recently had a conversation with our teenagers about drugs and we were realistic about it. You're going to do drugs. We know you are. We know you're doing them now. <laughs> you're going to have sex. We know you are. Don't you, you don't have to hide it. We know it. 
What we ask you to do is learn the shit. Do it responsibly. Know your limits. Rather than pretend, like my parents used to do, that this is like taboo. It's like, if we catch you, I'm going to skin you alive kind of thing. The the fear-based ruling of of parenting and it's the same thing in polyamory if somebody's afraid to come forward with uh uh something they've done a broken condom um you know that kind of thing a cheating scenario um or even just like withholding some sort of you know important information if you're gonna that, that's gonna damage your poly family absolutely and so to have that ability that am like i i use the word amnesty heavily here because that's exactly what it is yeah giving the amnesty giving the grace and that allows for conversation well combining these two concepts together the agreement of consequences and the non-withstanding clause i've had these happen in my asteroid field <laughs> of humans <laughs> right in my in my slut fam if you will we've had instances where somebody fucked up yep. and they came forward and yep. they said i fucked up good for them here's what happened fantastic yeah right and everybody came in with both you know critical understanding and a little bit of judgment appropriate levels of judgment support as well and with resources here's something that you can read or or look into to better your practices where you fucked up and in between the person who fucked up and the fuck up e yeah the fuck up e and the fuck upper yeah right you got it there was some separation there was some time where these people couldn't necessarily be at the same place at the same time couldn't communicate and slowly that relationship was mended yeah and this happens because of the level of support and because of this sort of amnesty agreement i think you i think you nailed it when you said support yeah right it's rather than punishment you get support and sometimes that support is difficult people are going to get mad people are going to be disappointed there's going to be tears this is not this notwithstanding clause is not a absolving clause yeah it's there there's work but it does allow you to get the support you need uh rather than the punishment the 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 you know the rattle on the ankles or the knuckles ankles why do i think ankles some pervy freudian thing yeah. going on there for sure yeah so it's it's got its limits and if you fuck up and you hide it it the consequences are worse because at that point you break trust yeah with the group that's supposed to support and you. that's it trust yeah. There's limits. We yeah. were able to forgive certain things. We're able to overcome certain things. We might not help you bury the body. <laughs> it might not go that far <laughs> in amnesty. But in, in a lot of instances that actually pertain to, joking aside, pertain to polyamory and to consent and to things like fluid bonding, you know, these things are workable. Yeah. I've had relationships where I was fluid bonded with somebody and I said, the moment that something happens, please inform me. We'll renegotiate. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to come to me with this. She uh, tells me maybe not even two weeks later, sorry, I had unprotected sex. I said, that's fine. I'd like if you and I go back to using condoms at this point yep. and we can renegotiate later after testing and all that. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't get upset. I didn't. It's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. All right. Tenure and duration. We're moving on into into deeper into the uh, polyam tenure and duration. Yeah, agreement. So this is the part. If correct me if I'm wrong, this is the part that talks about um, when a partner becomes a partner. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at over. And this is a and this is one where this was this actually people don't think about this in polyamory. 
but it actually ends up becoming important with the more people you engage with. Um, so for an example, when does a partner become a partner? When is this partner part of your poly family? When is a partner, when does a comet become that? You know, there's, it's a spectrum, it's a scale, especially if you're a slut like me, where, you know, like, and like, I think in this agreement, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's, if you're consistently hanging around a person and it's, it's, you know, it's frequent engagement for three months, you're in a relationship. You're in, you you need to commit at that point, <laughs> loosely, of course, but like, you know, and like, and that's when this person needs to, cause like, if you're going to have, if you're going to go to the club and you find somebody and you have the one night stand, you're not going to whip out the poly agreement and go, okay, you got to agree to all these rules. Cause you're part of the poly family. Now that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's totally, they're going to, they're going to run away from you. They're going to think you're a fucking weirdo. So I think this agreement, I think that that tenure and duration is there because in order for the agreement to sort of take hold, there has to be sort of like a bare minimum of what constitutes a partner within the group. Right. Um, so if somebody hangs out for long enough, then they might at some point be considered for inclusion. Yeah. There could be. And you might know that right away. Yeah. Right. Like if you've got a Tinder date and you're there for some sort of committed relationship from the very beginning, like I've had dates where the poly agreement comes out on the first date. Um, you know, and those, those, you know, those are people that you're very much interested in and they're, and you know, they're very much interested in you. So why waste the time? Um, but you know, there's people who, like you say, asteroids, right? Although, <laughs> part of the, part of the asteroid field. I mean, yeah. if there's a lot of comets around, they still need to kind of be part of the, the same ethical structure. Sure. Uh, so, you know, if they're allowed, if they're around for long enough, if you have a comet for more than, you know, it's three months. In this agreement, it's loosely three months. Yeah, they become. But an I think that's reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> you become an <laughs> they become an asteroid. Yeah. yeah, I think that's reasonable because, like, you know, if your partner has been seeing somebody and it's month three and they're like seeing them like two or three or four times a, a month, then you sit, you know, you look at them and you go, "This is a real. This is a thing, right? This is this is a thing." Yeah, and, and most likely they go, "Yeah, it's a thing." All right. Out comes the agreement. Here starts the agreement. And there's two types of agreements that you establish first before moving on to the next sections. There's the absolute or binding agreements, which are meant to cover all aspects of sexual health and welfare that directly impact all people in the polycule. Adherence to these agreements is expected by anyone who's engaged and committed in relationships within the group. And then there's encouraged or courtesy rules, which are agreements that are advised as a set of values that everyone understands, adopts, and considers as part of the lifestyle. Most of these are educational and informational in nature. You got it. Now, beginning, the absolute and binding agreements. These are the important ones, yeah. These are the important ones. The first rule is consent. The first rule has always got to be consent. The first rule is consent. And in fact... I have the first rule in a lot of my publications, which some of them I'm actually thinking about selling now. I'm working on a couple of things. That's exciting news for future episodes, hopefully. Um, Yeah. And the first rule of consent is a big one. Um, It's the first rule in my BDS&M house. Uh, It's the first rule in any kind of progressive BDS&M 101 
You see it at fetish nights. You see it at dungeons. You see it at sex clubs. And that's, I mean, I don't think we want to get too deeply into what consent is. It's not a complicated subject, guys. Um, but it's there in the agreement because, you know, that's that's got to be one of the most important or if not the most important rule among sexually active people in our unfortunately cis white bro culture these days, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad that you also in, uh, introduced the traffic light system in the consent section. And I think that needs to be explicitly said sometimes because I've been in instances where I've played with somebody new and I said, do you know the traffic light system? They said, yes. And I didn't follow that up with anything. And we began to test them. Yeah, we, we, yeah, exactly. We began the scene. So I'm going to, I'm like, where are you? How are you feeling? I'm at a five. Where do you want to be? Maybe at a seven. I got excited. I, I went maybe a little bit above a seven. And then she said red. And I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, just wanted to like ease back. And I'm like, okay, a red is you, you meant yellow. You meant you wanted to for me to stop and reassess. Red is red like in our full, house yeah. is you stop. Yeah, straight it's to aftercare. F- yeah, it's full like, stop. And in and, fact, yeah. in our house, red means you're not allowed to reengage for another hour at least. Yeah. It's yeah. time to decompress. Um, and I think a lot of people who are new to be we could, you know this we're getting off topic here, yeah. but this is I think this is an important one. I think a lot of people who are new to BDS and M concepts, they see it in the movies, they see it in the fantasy, they see it in the porn. They hear the terms, they hear the concepts. Like a lot, for example, a lot of people think safe words and red is the same thing. It's not. Very different concepts. Um, and red is a full stop. It's the nine one one of BDSM, and it protects people. It protects, you know, um, uh, S types as I call them, submissive types, slave types, whatever. <laughs> I hate the word slave in modern BDSM context, but we'll we can go into that another day. Um, Bottoms bottoms uh it protects tops protects doms protects you know because um we're not mind readers we don't actually know what's going on those pretty little heads and you know the last thing a mindful and um spiritual dominant wants to do is care for their people absolutely fundamentally yeah you know like if you can uh let go of the egoic tethers of dominance, which is one of the things that I am constantly trying to do in my own practice. And, and this is where it sort of transcends into a more of a spiritual practice. Um, um, at the end of the day, it, it translates into you're there to care and, and protect your S types experience. Um, and consent is a is an incredibly powerful tool for that. So yeah, it's in the agreement for that reason. Yep. And a yellow usually means stop, but we can renegotiate for the scene to continue. It's it's a slowdown. Yeah. It's a uh, amber. It's a uh, you know I'm getting close to my I'm at my limit, but I don't want to stop. Um, you know that's an important tool. It's an important communication tool. Yeah. Uh, you know, amber is like followed by back, a green pull back. Know? I would, I would generally with the yellow pull back and, and actually stop for a second and have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Just be like, where do you want to first question I ask is, do you need to go to aftercare? Yeah. Do you need, do you need, do you need to do that? So how would you distinguish something like red from a safe word? Cause we didn't talk about that and that might be useful to a safe know. word to me is like Amber. A safe word is like yellow. A safe word is, uh, a, a, it's a, it's a indicator 
between and quite often it's secretive between the partnership. Um, here's an here's a great example of a safe word in action. I have a safety protocol with with my um, with my thrall as I like to call uh, them, which is you know it's an MS relationship. And that safety protocol is if we are in a public space like Oasis or a fetish party, and where there's lots of people around, and there's lots of and 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 you you know you meet creeps on the dance floor. We had to deal with a couple this weekend. Um, the the rapid squeezing of my hand, and it goes both ways too. If you're in a, it can be just you're in an uncomfortable situation. You want to you want to go out and have, but you don't want other people to know. The, the the rapid squeezing of the hand is an indication. Uh, I'm not safe. I need to back off. I need your support. Yeah, let's that's what the here. safe word is. Yeah. Now the audible safe word is the same thing. I need your support. I need I need you to check in. I need you to. We need to have a conversation. I need you to back off. Um, that kind of thing. Okay. Without killing the vibe. Right. It's really what it's for. Yeah. It's just a like. Hi, this is yeah. Red kills to, the vibe. Yeah, yeah. Red is <laughs> red is the end. Yellow's like hang Yellow's on. We need the to safe reassess. Words are there to yeah. to, to reassess signal? Yeah, to signal reassess. Oh, okay, beautiful. Second binding rule: safer sex and sexual health. Did a whole episode. You on can this do a whole recently. episode well, on I, that. I did recently. Yeah, yeah. With I, Nurse I, that's one of the yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. So basically put into place all of the safer sex practices. Yeah. And so like safer sex practices in the agreement is basically uh, like, and this is where the agreement becomes really important among people is we're, you know, we're all agreeing to abide by these standards, this timeline of testing. This is the practice we use, you know, here's when, you know, um, uh, protocols around cross-contamination, fluid bonding, condom use, um, STI testing, all of those things covered under here. Absolutely. So there's going to be specific rules in, in something like this, and you can arrange it with your group of people any way that you like. But even in my asteroid field of, of sluts, we're called Ethical Slut Society. Yeah, I see the picture over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in something like that, if a person has an STI, they are encouraged to declare to the whole group, everybody goes, gets tested, and then we post our, our results. And that's judgment-free zone, too. Oh, we support each yeah, other. Like, we, we, we sometimes arrange times to go together absolutely. To, to get tested. That's absolutely. Little testing like, like, parties. STIs in this day and age with sexually active people is not like, it's, you know, we can go into this one pretty deeply, but like that whole clean, dirty, I hate oh, those yeah. terminologies. Absolutely. They're absolutely stupid. I mean, like if you're sexually, and I hate to break it to you folks, statistically, if you're sexually active, you've come in contact with an STI, if not a carrier, yeah. period. Like that's just what it's very, all about. Very likely. Yeah, yeah like the, the STI agreement uh, clauses in the agreement are not to prevent STIs. They're not there as a as a as a layer of preventative. I mean, it's preventative in in its spirit, but it's there as a support. It's there as a standard. It's there to uh, sort of keep a status quo on your health and not, and also to be mindful of it, right? Like if everybody in your poly family are mindful of their sexual health, and are you know are committed to the testing process and committed to the safer sex um, standard, 
your you know your chances of it spinning out of control is much much lower as any health professional will tell you. I'm not a health professional, but I I've been hassle free enough. Yeah, yeah same. <laughs> hassle free is our friend. That's yep. poly people. Um, to know and read and educate and you know it's funny because I used to be having being a child of the 70s and 80s and you know 90s. You know, I used to be one of these people who f- feared sexual like you know diseases like they were just the end of the fucking world. Uh, the truth of the matter is, and again, this part of this process of destigmatizing and part of the process of destigmatizing is also uh, promoting the concept that that sex isn't bad. Sex is, you know, sex is part of our 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 narrative as human beings and to deny that in some sort of pseudo Victorian way, you know, that's those are the people that that cause the spread of these diseases yeah. toxic bro culture is the cause of these yeah. things and hiding information yeah absolutely yeah i liked some of the specifics you mentioned here in the absolute safer sex practices within the polycule like visual inspection before any type of sex yep washing in general and this is especially important for hands yep. because a lot of cross-contamination can happen from uh, digital penetration and from going from orifice soap to and water is your friend and i used to be yeah. terrible at this it took a partner of mine to sort of go dude like think about what you're doing there so yeah. it's all a learning process yes yeah cognizance of cross-pollination you know using barriers and it's important it's interesting that you put here covering of the penis before it touches any of the wet tissue of the yoni or vulva yeah um and that's important because some people get away with shitty behaviors like hey can i slide my penis on your labia before i put on a condom and enter and that just you, if you have something <laughs> you, you might just, as well just be fluid bonded yeah you just gave it to that person <laughs> yeah. or you're likely yeah that, that's that's a point of contact yeah uh, yeah so don't do that unless you're having unprotected sex, I guess. Shared sex toys need to be covered with barriers. Uh, shared BDSM impact toys need to be sanitized in between use. And it says the encouragement, uh, the absolute rather use of words like red and yellow during DS play. Yep. And then there's some optional things in here to keep in mind as well. Part three. This is one of my favorites in general. And it's been one of my favorites since the last time that we talked. It was one of your polyamory hacks. Full disclosure and radical honesty. Yay. Oh, my God. I was thinking about this on the subway up here. Yeah. Just in general, like, like I, I'm constantly challenged by people who like try to protect and try to defend the don't ask, don't tell policy in polyamory. It's (laughs) totally cool. I've seen people challenge you online about it. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I totally, totally say to you people, <laughs> if that sounds so arrogant, you people, <laughs> if it works for you, go for it. Yeah. But, but, big but. Um, the thought process I was having on the way up here is there is so much absolutely blissful and beautiful fulfillment in being honest with your people and i think that's one of the fundamental pros of polyamory polyamory is a fuck ton of work sometimes you sit there and you go why the hell am i putting up with this show i'll just have a nice little monogamous relationship and not have to worry about it put it in the oven and bake it at 400 you know um but i do believe that one of the really beautiful euphoric endorphin russians you get from polyamory is the 
absolute freedom of full disclosure on the kitchen table of your partners, of your exploits, of your experiences, and knowing you're going to get that in return. Well, let's let's put this in the in a logical sequence, okay? Somebody says, "I have a don't ask, don't tell policy and it works for me." Mm-hmm. And you say, "Okay, good good for you. I'm not going to challenge that, but for you it's not your preferred mode of operating within relationships." No. But let's go back a second. Why do you have the don't ask, don't tell policy? You might hear something like, I'm more comfortable like this and my partner is more comfortable like this. Yep. What is that sense of comfort based on, if not the absence of information that could otherwise harm you? And why do you anticipate that knowing this information would harm you? So the fact that it's a protective barrier of information to prevent somebody from harm due to insecurities, jealousy, or judgment of your partner's character shows an absence in a type of intimacy in how much you're willing to know about that other person. And I think the reason you might be uncomfortable with the don't ask, don't tell policy is the same reason that I germinate this, this sense of discomfort around it is this idea that if I'm in a relationship with somebody that doesn't want to hear about the things that I do, then that is indicative of a problem. That means that they couldn't stand hearing or knowing about the things that I do. And if they can't, then that again is, I feel a type of infringement on my freedom to behave as I otherwise would, because now I know that there's a limitation in the types of things that I could do, because if they were found out, it would be detrimental to the relationship. And I would probably avoid doing the types of things that I want to do, knowing that some would be judged more severely than others. And I have no barometer for that because this person's not letting me explore that with them. You, and it causes you're singing, anxiety. You're singing the tune. Now, I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to shove things down your partner's no, throats. No, to, you know, like I had a recent uh, date with somebody. My partner you know, said, I don't really want to. I asked, do you want to you know, you hear about it? I'm really excited to tell you all about it. And they're like, no, I'd rather not. And that's okay. But it's there. Yeah, it's open. That door is open. You can walk through it. And that to me is part of that freedom. I'm not going to sit there and shove down my exploits down person's throat who doesn't want to do it. To me, the don't ask, don't tell policy is facilitates no matter which way you slice it, no matter how you rationalize it, there's a secret there. You're hiding something Um, or, you know, you're, you're the other way around. You're, you're preventing that communication to happen so that there's there's something between two people that is unsaid and you know like they say in psychology elephants in the room they grow they get big um now again there are people who make it work and they have valid reasons why that is um and i am not one to sit here and you're not one to sit here and judge them on it i'm just saying for me and in this agreement that honesty clause allows and facilitates deep intimacy absolutely and that's the that's the main difference of kitchen table this is this is why i framed it around my experience and the way that i would feel about it and expressly said that this is how i would feel in that situation and having been in that situation i know that the don't ask don't tell policy makes me feel that way it's a source of anxiety for me because i feel like it's this person doesn't want to know because they would think that it's a problem yeah, like I don't know what I would do if I was with somebody who said I want to don't ask, don't tell policy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, I could do it, 
Like I can keep all my lovers secret from you and I can keep all of my activities secret from you. But then when you start getting into the conversations about STIs and the parts of the agreement on there, what, like what you're going to find that out anyway, if you have to have those conversations and I would be really loath to not have those conversations. I guess it, it depends to what degree some people enact and enforce the don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. It'd be interesting to have like on the show, Somebody who is, or even like a panel discussion between different types of polyamorous people. Right. The and hierarchical. Like, yeah. The, and the, poly, the anarchists. And like get into a debate or something. But like, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't think there's a lot of public advocates out there for don't ask, don't tell. Well, I think in the, okay. So in the minimal sense, a don't ask, don't tell should at least include knowing the whereabouts of your partner. If they're not, if they're on a date with somebody else that you know, minimally who this other human is for safety reasons. And you know how long your partner is going to be away with this other person. And you know whether or not they're engaging in uh, what type of sex. Namely, is it barriered or is it fluid bonded? That that can't be predicated on possessiveness, though. No, no. Like, not, I, I don't, yeah. don't want to, like, you don't have to tell me where you are because I need to know because I need to control yeah. your whereabouts. It's like you say it's a safety thing or it's an intimacy thing. That's yeah. really it. No, I don't even ask my partners now where they are specifically. If it comes across in conversation... You know, I want their dates to be spontaneous. I think I think the one night stand is a really good example of this. You know, if you have a don't ask, don't tell policy and you go into a club or you go into a bar and you end up having sex in a C hotel room or a fancy hotel room, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, and then you just keep that information from your partner that, you know, like you think about the ramifications of that just from, uh, uh, you know, your your the narrative of your intimacy in your relationship. Um, whereas if you're in a open ethical, open agreement where there's this honesty and there's this communication and you have a one night stand, you know, depending on, you know, what your rule set is, some people like to know before it happens. Some people don't give a shit. Uh, I'm, I'm lean more to that because it's more realistic, but that's me. Um, but like, it's like, Hey, I got laid last night. Awesome. Tell me about it. There's a real, there's a real, like I said, there's that endorphin rush of, it feels comfortable for me. It feels supportive to me. It feels like you're part of a clan. It feels like you're part of a group. It feels like you're in this together. And I think that for me is the I think there's, there's levels of critical information there. It's like, okay, so I was with another person. I had cer certain sexual activities. They were protected. That's the bare minimum amount of information that I want to know. Oh yeah, those questions the, come the come with stuff. that conversation. Yeah, because sometimes I'll be more or less interested in hearing the details. Yeah, it's like, oh, you got laid last night. Was he hot? Awesome, yeah, you awesome. Can, you can, you you a can condom, get into right? the, yeah, of course. the compressive yeah, yeah. details if you like. Absolutely, yeah. right? But at least for, for the sake of, of just being ethical and safer with your sexual practices, I think it's important to know who your partner is potentially sleeping with. And, you know, whether or not they're using protection. I think those are very... Those are two basics. <laughs> very yeah. important things to yeah, ask. Those are basics. All right. I, we, we get a little excited about this radical honesty <laughs> stuff. All right, all right. Number four. Right. Let's, get, let's get to number four. Open disclosure and transparency. <laughs> I think we just... Uh, and debrief. We just talked. Bromance continues. <laughs> right? So... Okay, open disclosure. We we really just talked about this. Yeah. It's just a it's 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 another bolt on part of the concept of of absolute honesty and honor in a relationship, 
And there is a benefit to this in polyamory. This is like, I think a lot of people fear this concept because it puts a, a, a heavy onus and we have been conditioned by Disney to buy into that jealousy ridden monogamy, medieval culture. Mm. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> um, and when it comes down to it, when you have this open line of communication and you are able to talk about these things without fear, there's this release. There's this like changing of your world and an ethical open love relationship. Um, you know, even if you've cheated, you get, we go back to that support. You're getting the support. It may not, it may be tough love. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, for the audience, I'm not trying to paint this wonderful picture where you're just going to be let off the hook and go for, go for crepes at brunch in an hour. It's like, there's tears, there's crying, there's betrayal, there's trust broken. It's, it's fucking sucks. It sucks just as bad as it would suck in a monogamous, you know, um, closed kind of paradigm. Um, but it also is kind of like a big storm, big thunderstorm comes through, washes out the, you know, everything. And then, you know, the water's there to, to nourish the seeds. The sun comes out. It's there. It's let's regrow this, you know, like um, the lightning has struck down the tree, but there's that little but morsel. That's the, that's of... the important part, I think, of having healthy conflict, because conflict is often painted as an important bonding in a relationship as being able to challenge each other on your values, on your behaviors and beliefs. So the conflict is an inherent part of relationships and it can be healthy so long as you work together to help each other grow. Whereas in relationships where the communication is poor and people romanticize fighting as this blistering effect of people just launching assaults at one another, right? In this very like fervent sort of passion yep. and then they fall into each other and have sex. That's unrealistic, and you've just done damage without any sort of aftercare. I, I'm going to stop you there because I think you really hit on something important in with this concept of healthy conflict, um, and in poly, and this relates really nicely into this idea of open communication, um, and don't ask, don't tell, and that sort of concept is like if you have a conflict with somebody, and you don't resolve the root of what that conflict is, and that's a process in itself. That's going to fester. That's, you know, it'll come back. You hold that, you know, like you have a conflict and you don't resolve what it is. Like one of the great things about my partner, my, 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 my anchor partner at this, and all of my partners, all of my partners are like this actually, is um, a problem in the relationship rarely goes on very long before it's just either either a knockdown drag him out fight or a frank conversation and it doesn't get stop it doesn't stop until the resolution is there um, and I'm very thankful for that because I've been in relationships where you fight and you fight and you fight and then you bury it and then you fight again and it comes out again and it comes out harder and stronger but then you bury it again and nothing ever gets resolved nothing ever and it spins out of control and like few months later you're you're busted well the thing that the thing that i like about being able to engage in healthy conflict is that it kind of 
feeds into this communication kink that my partner and I have. So what happens is that we talk a lot and then we address conflict and it's this constructive thing and it's beautiful and you get to really see that passion you have for each other through the conflict that sometimes people experience through conflict that they don't resolve. And the better part of that is you have the emotional stability and control to wield it as a power rather than to have it press against you and go through you in a sort of instinctual way where you don't have control and you don't know what's going to happen. So in in that way, it's an active participation in the conflict and it's seeing the eroticism in challenging each other and then in mending again and coming to resolution. I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the things that, that I can recall when I was, you know, practicing monogamy and going through a divorce process in my in my um late 20s i remember like the fighting and the arguments i had and some of them were just you know like i lost hair at that time i was so stressed out um it's serious stuff right like (laughs) talking to the bald guy You know, like, like this is traumatizing stuff. Divorce is one of the most traumatizing things you can go through. And I remember at the time, one of the things that I, re- I recall very distinctly is that when we'd fight, the same things would be trucked yeah. out. Over like, and over you did and this over. thing back then. And, and like, you sit there and go, when are you going to let that go? You hear it all the time. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed in my, my healthy conflict in my partnerships now is that never happens. The old stuff never gets trucked out and used against you or weaponized in a way because that stuff's getting resolved because you're talking about that stuff and you're coming to a resolution. And so the old like you did this 10 years ago never happens. So it's one of the things I think that's touching upon. That's a definite benefit. And this is all work. And if you want to do it, you have to want to do this kind of work. In fact, something like compersion for me was work. Get a therapist. When I when I got into this, I actively told myself, I want to feel compersion. Yeah. And I know it's hard for me. It's not something I can, that I've experienced, but it's something that I want. And slowly, you know, fake it till you make it a little bit, but also like put in the work. And I started this feeling a little bit. This is why metamor relationships are so important. Absolutely. Because when you have a great metamor, you, become, you, you begin to love them. Yeah. And then when yeah. you love them and you, you see them loving them, yeah. your lover... Then you're just full of love. Yeah, it's shared love. It's, it's like hippy dippy shit, but absolutely. it's really fucking true. But it's like when two of your close friends get along and you're like, now I can, I have. Yeah, it's man, shared. land party. <laughs> 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 land party. Shout out to the 90s. <laughs> but it's true, right? Yeah. Like when, when you meet a friend and, the, and you know, and the, that friend gets along really well with another friend. Or the opposite, you meet, you introduce two friends and they, they, they hate each other. Yeah. You know, that's all, and it's the worst with lovers. Oh my God. Oh Lord. We could have a whole episode about well, that. I think, I think this goes into this, this part, the next part, which is veto, rights and privileges. Oh yeah, this is a big one. Yeah. This is a veto, veto is a big one. Uh, there's a lot of wrapping your head around this. Um, so just to give your listeners an idea, this veto concept in polyamory is nothing new. Uh and the idea behind it, the, the, the core fundamental idea behind it is, is if a partner, if a partner of your partner 
is threatening fundamentally like life threatening either your relationship and your intimacy or your partner or yourself physically you have the right to veto so that's the basic i think we go a little bit deeper in this one don't we like we we actually have parameters oh, around yeah, yeah where the, you have a whole thing it's due to the seriousness of such a rule and in recognition of the risk of abuse and of such a rule, both sides have rights, privileges that are governed by careful negotiation before a veto can take effect. There's a few listed here. A veto may only be issued if both parties are sober. It may only be issued, may not be issued, sorry, out of obvious jealousy. I like this one, may not be issued after 9 p.m. <laughs> this is all stuff from that butch lesbian. Yeah, one. yeah, because, yeah. you know, at night people get a little more Well, here's the excited. thing. Yeah. When you start fighting at 9 p.m., you're usually there until... 12.30, 1.30, maybe even all night long. 3 a.m. And you've got to work tomorrow. Yeah. So really that's what that's about. Yeah, and you like don't want to make those decisions yeah. at that time. Because if you break up at night, then you're not sleeping. You're not sleeping. And it's then not that, healthy. Yeah, and that person can't leave. You're not going to kick them out then. Let's be, be like, real. Yeah. Fucking, when the fight happens, the gloves are off, shit's down, it happens after 9 p.m. But like that is a general, like, think about it. Yeah. Think about if you're going to bring up a serious thing like a veto with a partner... Don't put it off till after dark. Mm-hmm. You know, Sunday morning at the breakfast table is probably your best time to bring that shit up. Well, this this perfectly works with an example. You might that still I have. be going until three a.m. <laughs> yeah, might. Well, when I left my ex, yeah, I knew the night before, but I said I can't tell her tonight because I can't push her out on the street. I want her to leave. Yeah, I don't want her in my space anymore. Yeah, this is definitely over. But I can't have this conversation now. She was not sober. Yeah. And I don't know if I was either. And she wanted to fight. And I said, leave it till tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. We slept separately. And then the next morning she was ready to fight. And I said, I'm sorry. This relationship is over. I can't do this anymore. Changed her attitude from angry to, you know, sad. trying to work it out. To yeah. Sad. But I'm like, this is the only time this works. And then I asked her to get her stuff and go. Smart. I mean... And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But you know, it's interesting. I've had to do the same thing in my lifetime. Where yeah. in the morning, it's like we're over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can sort of bat around the idea that you know daytime is safer and better. And it's like it's like when HR lets somebody go, you never do it. You know, on a Monday morning, kind of. You thing. do it on the Friday. You do it on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a good one. What else do we have in here? Let's see. There's a there's a whole bunch listed here. The rights there's the rights of the veto issuer, the rights of the veto receiver. So some of the issuer rights, that person has the right to ask to have all contact temporarily ceased until the veto is resolved, especially in cases where physical harm and serious health risks are involved. To communicate publicly with the polycule why and uh, who the veto applies to, but then the vetoer or the veto receiver, rather, has the rights to walk away from the polycule, but understands that the sexual emotional engagement with the other partners within the polycule will be affected, uh, the right to negotiate and state their case in response, and the right to consensus and support within the polycule is also encouraged, and so on. This is messy stuff. It is. Yeah. The more people you have in your poly family, the messier it's going to be. Sides get taken. Um uh back fighting back talking happens it's 
I mean, we like to think that everybody plays above board in these situations. The truth of the matter is, is when two people really, really hate each other, there are people who are caught in that crossfire. There's a blast radius. It affects a lot of people. And in fact, I mean, I think we've said this in the last episode, there's an old saying I love. It's actually, I don't know if it's an old, but it's a saying I use all the time. In polyamory, it's either really, really, really good or it's really, really, really bad. And in a veto situation, it can be really bad because essentially what you're doing is you're banishing a member of that family and i've seen this abused i've seen i i've actually had a partner who tried to uh to um veto a friendship it wasn't even a, a it wasn't even a, a a loving relationship it was the it was the situation i'll sort of paint the picture here it was a situation of uh of a a, a partner who had we were there there was another partner and they had broken up but I remain friends with that partner, close friends. And there was, there was jealousy and there was a, a problem with that. I don't want you hanging around this person there. I broke up with them. It's like, well, they're my friend, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Um, but at the same time, there's that loyalty bias you got to think about as well. Now, if that friend is actively harming you, you know, then yeah, the veto is valid. You know, the veto is, 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 probably the wise course of action there but if that friend is doing nothing wrong and the breakup is because of some fuck up that you did you know you don't get to just shut down my human relationships because you're uncomfortable with them absolutely i mean every it's a case-by-case thing there's a lot of different ways to slice this there's a lot of different scenarios um but you know the rights of the person receiving the veto they have that right to walk away you know, it's like, I don't need this shit. You don't control me. It's that autonomy we talked about at the beginning. So like, fine, I'm out. Goodbye. I'm going with that person. The person you're trying to veto, I'm going with them. I'm out of this polycule. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to abide by this agreement any longer. Right. Well, the, that's the whole point is that this agreement is non-binding. It's more so just helpful that everybody in your poly fam read it so that you have an idea of the types of expectations and the types of things that are going to happen and how to deal with them you have a tool set you have some shared values and in fact it ends the the disagreement which we're at the end now ends with a bunch of encouragements of values of agreed of agreed upon values like commitment to the polycule love thyself and do no harm consideration for your metamors and time management. These are all just good polyamory practices. Yeah. yeah. Mine your ORE as much as your Mine MR. your OR as much as your new relationship energy. Of course, oh. OR being old relationship okay, energy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what it was. Um, we can go into that one deeply. But one of the things I wanted to say about this whole agreement in general uh, as we close to the end here is even if you have a poly family and you you don't necessarily want to truck out an agreement, it's good to write an agreement for yourself. What would your agreement look like if you were to... Because what it does is it frames your mind around your values. And I think it's one of those 21 poly hacks, actually. It's have an agreement. And, and I say to people all the time, like, it's really difficult to pull out this document and go, okay, we're all going to abide by these rules like in poly families, there's no there's no leader, there's no captain. You know, it's part of the fundamental reasons why people are poly in the first place is they don't want to be controlled. 
So how do you get people to like abide by a rule set who are, you know, generally fairly anarchist in their, their personal way? Well, you know, it's still healthy to have that for yourself, to write one for yourself. What would it look like? And that way, you know what your boundaries are, you know what your own sense of your own standard is overall. Yeah, and the more you engage in this kind of stuff, the the better that you can structure the bond and type of relationship that you want to create. Because part of, I think, being polyamorous is engaging the creativity of co-constructing relationships, not falling into pre-written scripts. That's the beauty of it, I find. That's the work of it that I find. And if you can find beauty in the work, then you're probably in the right place. Probably. Hopefully. <laughs> the ethics are very important. So mining your old relationship energy as much as your new relationship energy, taking care of your base, drama-free space, family dinners and meetings, and then at the it ends off with additional resources and required readings like The Ethical Slut, More Than Two. There's a few optional readings and some useful resources like Polyland, Hassle-Free Clinic, and uh, it says add podcasts here. I, oh, I yeah. have some suggestions. <laughs> I have some suggestions. You got, you got I know any a good, good podcast. <laughs> I mean, this was written in a time when I didn't think there was any podcasts out there, or at least that I wasn't aware of about polyamory or even sexual health. Um, um, so, you know, that just shows you how old this thing is. Well, I mean, based off this contract and our seeming agreement, I think you and I would make a really good We'd relationship. We'd be great metamors. <laughs> We'd Meta be... Metam We'd be asteroids. asteroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think we almost had almost a collision recently, didn't we? <laughs> Our asteroid fields might have intersected yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. I think we share some asteroids in common, at, at least. In, uh, absolutely. I mean, this community is not. It's pretty incestuous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a small world. The sexually hyperactive in communities, despite the fact we're in a city of 4 million... Like you slept with that person, of course you did. Yeah, you know, like we know. Yeah, we know. Now, you know what's gonna happen before I let you go, and you gotta do it again. I forgot. What you gotta I mean? give me a sexy story. Oh, a sexy story. Well, sexy, wild, outrageous. You know, whatever. A good story. Okay, I got one. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, I like your this. Confidence. Is an easy one. Good. So recently, uh, on my partner's fet life, um. You know, it's funny. FetLife is a funny site. It can be a, a garbage dump. It can be the source of incredible relationships and information. And my partner was tweaking their fetish list. And and my partner's fetish list is actually pretty hilarious. It's very campy and sarcastic. But they recently put anal only as one of their fetish. <laughs> That's, oh my God. And I was like, like, I'm a butt guy. I'm not going to lie. Same. Huge butt guy. Oh, I, I love, love that shit. Oh, my God. Gets me, turns my crank. So I saw Favorite this. Cavity. And I was like, anal only. And they were like, yeah, like the idea. I mean, obviously, it's not practical, but the idea kind of turns me on. And I was like, all right, you're under you're under chastity orders until the northbound party. It's anal only oh <laughs> until mid-February. That's amazing. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. My dream growing up was to meet an anal queen. <laughs> that's what i wanted was this idea of somebody who's... well anal is the new blowjob so like they're they're out there <laughs> yeah i i know i know it's just like <sighs> anal is the new blowjob i think i heard that i just about <laughs> lost it all the kids are eating ass yeah so anyways it's been this wonderful like we my partner and i we session twice a week 
and with session it's like it's it's a mindful contribution to our bdsnm roles in our relationship and depending on the business and work schedules and children sometimes those are fast and furious sometimes they're all day affairs but this anal only chastity orders is is you've got to earn penetration other ways it's not that it's off the table you got to earn it otherwise oh. it's just the butt and it's you earn it super fun more anal. you earn it with more <laughs> really anal. fun more yeah, anal. yeah yeah okay so yeah there's your exciting story yeah Steve, hangman. Yep. Hanged. It's like the tarot card. Not hangman, not hungman, but hanged man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I offer kinky tarot readings if anybody's interested. Well, this is your time to shout out the things. If you oh, that's to... the thing I'll shout out. So yeah, like, shout that's out one of the, the things stuff, I, the stuff I, 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 yeah. So I'm a tarot reader. That's where I get my DJ name, which is DJ Hangman. And uh, I've recently in the last year started to specialize in kinky tarot readings or you know, a tarot readings about relationships and it's been a huge success. Um, all I ask for, I mean, if you're local, there's, there's a pay scale or there's, I have an Amazon wish list. If you're remote, uh, if you're remote, sorry, remote, that's that uh, Romanian brandy you gave me. Um, um, yeah. So if you're interested in a tarot reading, uh, the hangman can hook you up. Hey, look, I pulled the upside down clown. Oh, it's anal only. That's the anal only card. <laughs> yeah, there is an upside down clown. Actually. There is? It's the hangman. Oh, that's yeah. you. <laughs> How we've wrapped In the traditional circle. deck, he's dressed as a clown. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're a jester. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if I could knew that. could do a whole show on out. tarot, kinky tarot. I think we got a lot of shows in our future, don't we? I think we? we do, too. We should probably make a series. We should. Let's make a series. Let's make Let's a series. Let's do that. All right. Steve. We're partners now. <laughs> Okay, Steve's well, joining put- the intellectual erection team. Well, I got my own contract. <laughs> We're going to read through it now. Thank you so much, Steve, for all your time. You're welcome. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking.